All right, but that's the bricks. So now we'll get into the second topic of today, which is the coup in Gabon. Yes, an, a, yet another coup rocks yet another African nation. Uh, for those who don't know where Gabon is, we'll just take out our trusty dusty maps. Well, in my case, I don't necessarily need to do that because I did that earlier. I have, I have these giant map posters on my walls. I say giant, it's more like more like the length of a single arm, but it's nice to have, you know. Uh, there's this one map I saw when I was working at this one job. This guy had a massive map of North America. I wish that I knew where he got that one from. I want that. But uh, I digress. <clears throat> I digress. But anyway, get your maps out. Now look to Africa. Now you'll, you'll see Nigeria sort of smack dab in the middle where Africa bends in like a boomerang. That coastline right there, you'll see Nigeria... You go south, uh, uh, like two countries, and then you get to Gabon. It's right there, right south of Cameroon. That's where the coup is. Well, that's where the latest coup is. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, there was another coup there. It's Gabon. Uh, another country with a particular history with the French, a colonial history with the French. And... Now we have another anti-colonial uprising, and I'll I'll see if I can elaborate on this thought later on. But it it seems to me like it's starting to get formulaic, if you know what I mean. Where these coups are happening, and then they take on a certain character, which is anti-colonialism, anti-imperialism. They, they, they happen, they take on this nature, it's sort of, it's a popular coup, or at the very least, that's what it seems, again, only time will tell, but you have this popular coup with the military, with the general support of the people, the populace, overthrows a pro-Western or sort of neo-colonialist puppet government, or that's the way they would view it anyway, they overthrow it, the military assumes control, and then they start, well, locking things down so that they don't get cooed again by sort of Western forces. I just find it strange that these coups happen back to back to back like that. Uh, and that they all take on this same sort of anti-colonial, anti-Western uh, nature. And this is not me, def this is not me defending colonialism. Like, as far as I'm concerned, the only good thing that came out of colonialism was the United States. <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's just a coincidence, but that is something I'm noticing with every coup that happens, it, particularly the ones that come out of the former French Empire, where they, they, come, they come out taking on this same character, and um, perhaps the details of which are being shared. Um, from military to military, which would suggest a level of international cooperation that isn't necessarily apparent from looking looking from the outside in at a first glance. Now, are they actually working together to do this? I'm not entirely sure. Maybe they're just really good opportunists and they see that the time of change has come and it's essentially now or never. They're either going to have their independence now or they're not going to have it at all. 
And I think that they're choosing independence. And since they're choosing independence, that is perhaps the reason why you see sort of popular support for the coups. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I'm mistaken. But that's what it looks like uh, uh, for me, sort of noticing this pattern here. So we have this coup in Gabon. Uh, and this one happened after the former president, Ali Bongo, was essentially declared the winner of the election. He was deposed by the military, obviously, that's why it's a coup, uh, after this victory. Now, I don't have enough... Uh, I don't have enough context for myself to, de to decipher whether or not it was legitimate or not. Uh, I can go on about the American elections all day, but just like with Brazil, I'm sort of going to tell it to you how it's being told. He was proclaimed victorious, and then the military overthrew him. Whether it was the vote legitimate, was it illegitimate? The military claims it was illegitimate, and for the time being, uh, not enough people seem to object to that conclusion to bring him back into power. Certainly not people inside Gabon itself. So I suppose that those claims of illegitimate uh, or election interference and election shenanigans, maybe they were valid, maybe they weren't. Uh, again, I can't make those assertions. If it's America, different story. I can, <laughs> I can make those assertions all day long, and I will. As a matter of fact, Trump will in in due time, and that's going to be some very satisfying vindication. But he was proclaimed the victor. He's been deposed by the military, and now you have he he's been arrested just like the president in Niger, and you have more talk of intervention. Now, it's it's strange. It's like it, it rinse and repeat. It's like nothing is learned from the people on the losing end of this cycle. Because uh, you have talk of intervening in Gabon, Gabon, in Gabon now, as if the intervention in Niger was enough, or Niger. So, on top of this, on top of this new coup, when we'll see how this one plays out, if it's s similar to, or uh, it, we'll see in what ways it was similar to Niger and what, what ways it was different because uh, it's obviously a different country, different military. So we'll see how it plays out. Uh, although, I imagine that in, in time... Wait a second. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I'm thinking about the borders of ECOWAS here, because ECOWAS sort of takes up the coastline... Uh, of that of that bend that boomerang bend in africa and gabon is to the south of most of the ecowas states that's a very strategic location uh potentially detrimental in the event of an actual war uh i don't think gabon would be very appreciative of having to fight ecowas by itself because it can't quite be supported by say mali and burkina faso like niger can uh, Niger, uh, Niger. Uh, I'll figure out which one I want, <laughs> but yeah, they're sort of isolated, but in a way, it does provide a strategic flank, so to speak, because I don't, I don't imagine that Gabon is gonna go along passively with a military intervention into Niger either, 
because an intervention in Niger to restore a deposed presidency would open the door, just like Mali and Burkina Faso, it would open the door to an intervention into Gabon to restore a deposed presidency. And it would essentially undermine and defeat the purpose of the coup if they allowed that to happen. So now you have this country with a military junta on the exact rear, exactly to the opposite direction of ECOWAS that Niger is. Niger is to the north of ECOWAS. Gabon is now to the south. So in the event that they actually went through with this, and there is indication that there is still that they're still going to try to go through with it. I thought the bluff was called. So far, it looks like it has been called. But there is hinting, there is hints that it might still go forward. That intervention in Niger, which would kick off with the coup in Gabon now, just due to their own interest, it would kick off an even wider war in West Africa now. Instead of just ECOWAS versus Niger, Mali and Burkina Faso, now you add Gabon to the equation. So the war, the potential war, expands by yet another state in Africa. And ECOWAS would then be presented with a two-front war uh, in the Sahel in the north, the deserts to the north, and the jungles to the south. Now, that's that's they're going to have a very fun time doing that. Even though Gabon is small, I have a feeling that anyone who tries to go fight a war with them is going to have a very fun time trying to trying to deal with the trees speaking Gabonese. <laughs> but yeah, the potential war that is being stoked here with the, with Niger still at the center of it all. The potential war now widens and we'll see if any more African countries have coups in them. Now, what will really shake things up is if uh, an, another ECOWAS member has a coup. And that would really shake things up. Will it happen? I don't know. I'm not necessarily saying it should. But I'm saying that that would really throw a wrench into this whole thing. And might put pressure on the remaining ECOWAS states to follow through before coups happen. That would put them at an even greater disadvantageous position. So... Africa is on the precipice. Africa is definitely on the precipice. Uh, one civil war in Ethiopia replaced by a civil war in Sudan. And now you have a potential war in all of West Africa, which could very easily bleed into and overlap with the war in Sudan. Now, granted, Sudan is like way... Well, actually, it's only one country away. Now, granted, Chad is a very big country. Chad is a very big country. But if you have a, a, a belt of conflict running from the African West Coast all the way to the East Coast, because Sudan is on the Red Sea, well, you have the potential for the two sides in each conflict to start to overlap with one another for their own interests. And then you get a really wide conflict. Now, how many people would actually be involved in the fighting? Not entirely sure. It's not like these are the biggest and heaviest hitting militaries on the planet. But we are looking at a truly second great, a truly great African war, a second great African war. Now, I was sort of referring to the 
string of smaller scale brush fire conflicts beforehand, which will rip through the Sahel uh, between a lot of these militant groups and say Nigeria and Chad and Mali. I, I used to refer to that as the second great African war. Uh, well, that pales in comparison to what we're looking at now. And I think I might have to take the title away from that and give it to this. We are looking at a truly second great African war. And how many people will end up on the kill count? There's already a thousand people dead in Sudan. Who knows? I mean, you have Nigeria with, uh, what, 260-something million people? So, it's it's a very rapidly developing situation that has the potential to become really bad. <laughs> a lot of potential to become really bad. Uh, and the French are not making things worse. Because while all this is going down, in Niger, you have the French embassy essentially being put under siege because the Niger military has demanded that the French ambassador leave. But Macron and another genius move has ordered that he stay under, you know, under the pretext that the coup, the government telling him to leave is illegitimate and that the only legitimate government is the elected president who is now deposed you know ali well not not ali bongo the other guy <laughs> from niger ali bongo is from gabon so that is an incredibly dumb dumb thing to do it's just so dumb it's just so dumb they're doubling down on dumb they're doubling down on stupid because they the only reason they're even in this position where they're having a standoff at the embassy is because you threatened a military intervention the second there was a coup then you got embargoed from Niger gold and Niger uranium. And again, this is a country, France, who gets 70% of its energy from nuclear power. And Niger is like one of their top suppliers for like half or something close to half of their nuclear fuel. And so by doing that incredibly stupid move, trying to threaten an, a military intervention into the country that makes your life possible <laughs> through their, their uranium, they embargoed you. And your response is, and there was your response to them demanding that your ambassador leave since you've made yourself a, a threat to them. You didn't need to do that. France didn't need to do that, but they made themselves a threat to Niger. And now Niger is like, okay, well, your ambassador's gotta leave. We want all of you out. Your response to that is to say, no, don't leave. And now there's a, a standoff. And they're lucky. They're lucky that this is the 21st century, not the 1800s. Well, I actually, I suppose that Niger is the one that's lucky. It's not the 1800s. <laughs> but they're lucky that Niger's military has exercised as much restraint as they have. Because had it been like back in the day, back in the day, day, that ambassador would have been shot. His head would be put on a spike and paraded down the street as a symbol of defiance. But instead, we have a, a de facto siege of the French embassy in Niger, and where the military is, is demanding that they be no food, no water, no electricity supplied to the building. Uh, the French ambassador currently is holding out, uh, probably probably eating all the, the vending machine food uh, to his heart's content. 
But eventually, he's got to come out. Eventually, he has got to come out. And what happens then? We don't know. We don't know what this guy's going to do. We don't know what the Niger military might do. We don't know what the French... We don't know what the French are going to do. They could pay a mercenary group to go in and just bomb the building. Quite frankly, they could do that. And then blame it on the Niger military. And now you have a case for war. A false flag. But let's be honest, people don't really catch up to the false flags until after the war starts. (coughs) Ukraine. But the situation can devolve really fast right now. Like all all the cards are there. It's just a matter of how they get played. Uh, We hope for peace, but the possibility of war here is just a hair trigger away from becoming the reality. Now, Macron is, again, doubling down on stupid. His ambassador is no longer getting food, electricity, or water, but he wants him to stay. And it's... Eventually, this is going to get resolved. Now, whether it's by peace or by force remains to be seen. But France has also given the green light to an intervention from ECOWAS. They've done that. They've threatened an intervention themselves. It's it's a mess, to say the least. It is definitely a mess. Now, whether France actually has the wherewithal to do something themselves beyond, say, like an airstrike, I'm not entirely sure. We're going to see very quickly, if the war pops off, We're going to see very quickly just how much the Ukraine war has depleted France's ability to do these types of things. And maybe, maybe if we're, you know, we take that step back and think of the broader geopolitical uh, context, maybe all the massive amounts of aid being given to Ukraine, which is peddled to us by the propaganda press is this overt good thing that we're doing. Uh, If you look at it from a different perspective, uh, instead of the, we have to sacrifice to make sure that Ukraine can stand, can stand, you put yourself in the shoes of someone else, someone who lives under the French yoke, under the French neo-colonial rule. Suddenly, that sacrifice for Ukraine isn't a, a, a heroic and righteous thing. It's an opportunity. Oh, you just gave away your military stockpiles to a foreign nation for a war that you're not even involved in? How are you going to stop us if we were to say, I don't know, overthrow the government? Maybe that is the reason we're seeing these back-to-back coups. Now, Mali, Burkina Faso, they were there earlier. But Niger and Gabon, that's just opportunism. That's just some really good opportunism. And the longer the war in Ukraine goes on, the more of their equipment they give to Ukraine, and the more of their ammunition, more importantly, that they give to Ukraine, the less they will be able to do anything in their former colonial empire. Meaning that more countries are going to be able to rise up and overthrow the French neo-colonial rule there. So there's a potential that more of these coups happen uh, it is a sort of inverse relationship to how much weaker France gets from its aid that it gives to Ukraine. The more aid France gives to Ukraine, the more military aid you gives to Ukraine, the more these um, rebellions, so to speak, are going to pop up. 
the weaker France becomes, the higher the likelihood of a coup in their colonial empire. That's what we might be seeing. Now, we'll, of course, we'll have to wait and see there because we only have like two examples right now. But if we start to see more, we we can call that a trend. So it's it's getting interesting. It's getting dangerous. It's it's a lot of things. Dangerous is at the top of the list, but it's definitely getting interesting. And I am happy I had that little uh, epiphany at that moment. and I brought it to you in real time. But yeah. Uh, and last but not least, we have Burkina Faso also officially authorizing the deployment of troops to Niger in the event of a foreign intervention. So Burkina Faso is now officially on, they are now officially committed. They have authorized the troops. It was one thing to say that they would, now they've authorized the troops to, to go to Niger in the event of an intervention into Niger by other countries. So we'll see if Mali follows suit. We'll see if Gabon joins in on the fun we will definitely have to keep our eyes on this situation because uh, it can blow up really quickly it, and it all it's all centered on niger for the time being hopefully nothing bad happens but we'll just keep our eyes on these developments as they go this segment was taken from my podcast this week in geopolitics i have new episodes every monday so if you like what you heard consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.